I think there's ways that digital can support all departments and in a lot of ways how digital can sort of make it really clear how these departments can support each other. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I sit down with Steven Aguiera, who's the founder of Good Goes Further and an experienced full-stack marketer that really helps organizations use paid media to drive positive outcomes for mission-driven organizations. Steven is a strong growth marketer with an experience in driving digital growth for organizations and now helps nonprofit leaders map out a blueprint for how they can fundamentally use digital channels, especially paid channels, to grow their donor acquisition program and also cultivate current donors and really help raise mission-critical funding. Steven is a brilliant marketer, and so let's dive in. Steven, for a long time, you've been helping organizations really focus on this idea of growth. And that's a multifaceted concept. But now you're kind of applying that same methodology and thinking to helping nonprofits build a blueprint to grow. But before we dive into that, I'm curious, Stephen, like how you got to this, why does your organization really dig in and focus on kind of the components of growth and why nonprofits? Sure. Sounds good, Noah. Um, so basically, you know, I graduated from college in 2011 and spent five or six years working as sort of a one-man social media and audience development team for various independent and venture-backed um, publishing startups, um, so media companies essentially. Um, in 2016, um, decided to go my own way um, and start a digital marketing consultancy called Blue Wing. Um, and at that point, you know, really sort of retooled myself and sort of was looking at you know where what were people looking for as far as demand, as far as digital marketing goes, and what was working. And at that point, I really pivoted myself to becoming more of a paid media and growth marketing person. Um, so that was a big shift. And I think the, in the four years of my consulting journey, that's sort of been the through line with all of my clients is like some component of paid media management. I think um, you know, paid media management is interesting because it really forces companies to start thinking about the ROI of their digital marketing campaigns. And I think that's where the growth marketing mindset comes in. You know, a lot of, for a lot of time, um, you know, people were sort of hiring the token social media manager, digital marketing person, and checking the box and thinking they can move on um, with their with their hiring and their company strategy. Um, and no one really thought about, you know, okay, we we know we need to be managing a Facebook page and an Instagram profile and a Twitter account, but I don't think people were really thinking about, okay, well, what's the ROI of say this, you know, this person with a $50,000 salary that we've hired to hire our organic strategy. And I think when you shift the, the mentality over to paid, people start really seriously looking at, okay, what, what value am I getting out of this investment? And I think that's a good conversation to have because I think that needs to be sort of applied more broadly in digital marketing um, on the organic side as well. Just for clarity, just so listeners can kind of keep pace is when you say paid, uh, strategy. Can you just define that a little bit more? Because it may be newer to some people. When you say paid, they might think like traditional advertising and whatnot. But when you say digital paid, what are you actually talking about? Just for our listeners. The, what I'm primarily talking about is Facebook and Google. Um, so Facebook and Google are a, basically a duopoly in digital advertising. I think about 
80 cents of every new dollar that goes into digital advertising either goes to Facebook or Google. And under Facebook is obviously Instagram, the same as, as management platform. Um, so that, those are the two platforms that I'm primarily talking about. Um, and then, you know, YouTube under Google as well. Um, there are some cracks in that. There's a lot of people that run Snapchat ads, LinkedIn ads, depending on you know, who you're trying to reach, Twitter. Um, but when you talk about digital advertising, if you have those two covered, Facebook and Google, that's primarily what I'm talking about. Got it. So, yeah. So, you know, the, over the last four years, you know, we've worked with I don't know, 30 or 40 companies in general. And within that, about a dozen different nonprofits, primarily managing their paid media campaigns. Um, but also doing some things with CRM and CRM integrations and email marketing and marketing automation and stuff like that. Um, what we, you know, focus on as far as nonprofit clients goes is again, you know, from a growth marketing perspective, you know, really focusing on creating data driven campaigns that prove out a higher ROI than the investment. There's sort of a spectrum when you think about marketing in general, on one end of the spectrum, there's brand marketing and that's, you know, what's the design of your website? What's the look and feel of your brand? What's your positioning? Um, you know, what's essentially your product market fit in a lot of ways. Um, and on the other end of that spectrum is growth marketing, which is more data driven. It's about distribution. It's about customer acquisition. It's about revenue. Um, and those two things, there's nothing, you know, wrong with brand marketing. It's, it's, it's critical actually. And a lot of, in a lot of cases it needs to be solved first before you start growth marketing. Um, and they play off each other in a lot of different ways. Um, but, but I am a growth marker and that's sort of the, the filter that I look at sort of nonprofit growth from. Um, so we focus on a lot of different things, you know, managing again. So on Facebook and Instagram, you know, we do a lot of lead generation campaigns where we acquire emails through lead generation ads on Facebook and Instagram, where essentially, you know, we pay a dollar, two dollars or so to acquire an email. That email is then added to the, to the CRM and then end of year and giving Tuesday, we can see, okay, if we spend $10,000 acquiring emails this year, how much did those people that we acquired end up giving on Giving Tuesday and, and end of year? And what's the ROI on that? Um, we also run a lot of direct fundraising ads. So you, know, you can retarget your website visitors, retarget your email list with direct you know, donation ads or recurring giving ads um, and have driven positive ROI that way with just direct asks. Um, you know, there's the Google Ad Grants program, which is huge. Um, we manage a lot, of, a lot of Google Ad Grants accounts. Um, for those that aren't familiar, Google Ad Grants is basically Google giving nonprofit 501c3s $10,000 a month in free digital advertising revenue. So we help our clients maximize that. Um, and really just, again, creating a full funnel reporting system where we can say, okay, what are we investing in these various channels and what's the return that we're getting over time? And that was a helpful kind of snapshot of kind of how you view marketing and what the difference is between I think what a lot of nonprofits see is like marketing more on like the corporate communications or the PR side of the fence rather than what you're talking about, which is referred to growth marketing, but also it could be like performance marketing or there's a few other terms there, but it's kind of this idea that where it's not just marketing for marketing's sake, but it's rather, hey, we're doing intentional acquisition of donors, we're cultivating those donors, those donors are um, turning into lifetime donors. What's the value of that? How do we optimize that in a way that makes sense from an ROI standpoint? The thing is, is that I feel like a lot of what I just said and what you said is relatively new for a lot of nonprofits because nonprofit leaders kind of have a traditional set of tactics that they use where they have kind of a core acquisition channel. Maybe that's an event or uh, a volunteer strategy or something that's kind of piping maybe 60%, 70% of their new donors in through. 
and then they have some other like tertiary things that they're doing. But really, it's kind of like donors come in, we cultivate them through the annual fund. And then at some point, we identify that this person has enough signals and they raise their hand or we kind of point them out as someone that could have potential that we move them to the major gift file. Then we cultivate them with kind of our SWAT team of major gift officers. And at some point, we hope that they'll give planned giving. And it's kind of this traditional process that's inside the organization that's been designed here. For something like what you're talking about to work, though, I do feel like it requires a refactoring of kind of the mindset of what the internal machine looks like and the process and strategy that we take to cultivate those uh, individuals. So when you work with nonprofits that are trying to maybe adopt for the first time a paid media strategy, and I think more organizations are considering that because a lot of the other traditional fundraising outlets have been upended due to the current global pandemic um, and a bunch of other factors that are going on in our world right now. What's kind of the the requirements of a nonprofit to really be able to be successful? Not just the execution of the ads, but there's also like internal things that have to happen for you to be able to report ROI. How do you help organizations do that? Or how would you advise an organization to kind of assess their readiness uh, from an internal perspective to actually maximize these types of channels? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really great question because like you said, like none of this lives in a silo. Um, you know, the paid media components will touch on all, can touch on all facets of your nonprofits, um, you know, plan as far as like external stuff, but even like departments within your organization. And we can talk about some examples of what that looks like. Um, but as far as the requirements go for getting started, I mean, obviously, like I said earlier, you need to have the right brand. Um, you need to have the right, you know, to look at it from sort of more techie perspective, product market fit. Right, like, do you have traction within a core group of constituents that are going to be able to sustain sustain your nonprofit for the long term? Um, because if you have something where people aren't gravitating towards it naturally or don't feel a connection to it when they come across it, you have to work on that. So the branding and positioning needs to be nailed down, and you have to have some proven success there organically. Um, hey, Stephen, just for clarity, you say product market fit. I think some organizations might pause there and say, yeah, product like. What, yeah, what do you mean by that? So what I hear is that like it's not just even like, oh, you're doing good work. Because I think that's what some people might interpret it as like, oh, we're doing yeah. good work and people should fund that. I would translate it more like uh, Stephen Screen at Better Fundraising talks about it where it's like, what is the offer? Like what is the packaging yeah. you're putting around your cause? And do people actually care about that? And they're willing yeah. to give to it. Is that exactly. how you would look at it? Or yeah, you provide I your think, own spin there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, you know, again, it's sort of like figuring out what's the like, what's the ideal positioning of your of your nonprofit, you know, for, so for example, you know, I'll use an example that I came across recently I had a conversation with someone. Um, there's this cool campaign called Def- and I don't want to get too political, um, but um, you know, but there's a campaign I came across called Defeat by Tweet. And basically their positioning is that you can basically sign up and every time Donald Trump tweets, you know, you can sign up to donate five cents every time he tweets. Um, and so that positioning is super unique and novel and people are gravitating towards it. And whereas maybe someone else might sort of just be a little bit more um, general positioning and say, like, just donate to my super PAC and we're going to run ads to defeat Donald Trump. Right. So, like, there's a little bit of a distinction there. And, like, you might have the same mission but like how you package it and distribute it like into the market like matters. 
Um, you know, you want to do something that people that people gravitate towards, that they find unique, that they find compelling. Um, and I know that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different nonprofits, but I think that's sort of just one example of something I've come across recently that like is a mission that a lot of different nonprofits share, um, a lot of different political organizations share, but the way that they've wrapped it up is just super unique from like a branding and positioning perspective. Um, and that's sort of what I'm thinking about along the, you know, as far as getting that traction. Absolutely. And I think I almost want to camp here for a minute because I think this is essential. Like we almost can't talk about anything else until we resolve this. And I do think yeah, this is a concept yeah. that is really tough for a lot of organizations because they're like, you know, we do great work and we present that work and we've been raising money and we have in our, we have our events, we have our mail campaigns that we do and we just tell the great work that we're doing and people give. I think what's challenging, because I've been a part of an organization that did that really well and had a great following and was, you know, a multi, you know, 10, 10 plus million dollar nonprofit. When you start looking to grow beyond your kind of organic reach and looking for opportunities to scale, it becomes really difficult to scale on the back of just like, hey, we're doing good work. And so you really have to take that work and present it in a way that is accessible for people and what they're looking to invest in. And that is what differentiates. You know, I worked for an international nonprofit that had a national reach. And so we were not just like, not to talk about competition, because I think, again, that's another word that's difficult, but it's true. Like there's a lot of competition for today's donors dollar. And it's not just nonprofits. It's, you know, GoFundMe campaigns and the next Kickstarter and like all of these in, in my neighbor who might need something. And all of that is taking generosity dollars. So we have to figure out a way to differentiate our offering in the market so that it aligns with what donors actually want to give to. Do you have any practical like approaches or tactics you recommend for an organization? Say like, I'm a human services organization in a medium-sized community. How do I raise money right now? Like how, how do I approach packaging my offer to see, get product market fit? Well, I think from a growth marketing perspective, the answer on that front is going to be A-B testing. Um, and so that sort of folds in a little bit to how paid media cannot just can can be used for acquisition. It can be used to drive positive ROI, but it can also be used to uncover insights. Um, so, for example, you know when you throw up a Facebook ad set, you know best practice is not just have one ad. You should have you know one, two, three, four, five different ads in that ad set running against the same audience and seeing what does best. And I think as long as a nonprofit can approach that very that process very intentionally and say, okay. We're in this ad, we're going to try showing, you know, what does the money that we raise directly go to support? Uh, and this ad, we're going to try um, a really positive outcome and show all the things that we've accomplished this year. In this ad, we're going to show a ne- sort of more, a more negative filter and show all the things that we still need to do and accomplish and how, you know, how messed up the world still is in terms of the community that we serve. In this ad, we're going to try you know, highlighting, you know, our superstar employees and all the, and the, and the impact that they make and, 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 and what they do. So I think to answer your question, you know, growth marketing can be an incubator for uncovering those insights as far as what is resonating with people and, and your messaging. And you might just have one ad set, a Facebook ad, where you're doing some A-B tests on positioning and different sort of angles that you can take. But you can take those insights and apply them not just to your Facebook ads, but like, What's the hero title on your homepage when people first come to your homepage and they see, you know, the name of your brand and your positioning statement? What is that positioning statement, and what should that be based on the insights you uncover, you know, in the Facebook ad uh, campaign? 
Um, how is that going to affect the messaging of your emails and how you position the fundraising ads on Giving Tuesday? Um, how is that going to affect your landing page copy on your, on your, on your donation pages? Um, so I think A-B testing is critical from a growth marketing perspective. And I think that's a really important overlap as far as like where brand marketing and growth marketing overlap is like you can take sort of the things that you're thinking about on the brand marketing side and actually test them in real life, test them in the real world in a very controlled scientific way and basically come back and say, okay, now we have the insights and we know that ads showing sort of maybe a negative filter perform, have a higher click-through rate than ones with a positive or something like that. Um, so that's how I would approach it um, and, and how those things sort of interplay with each other. Yeah. And I think the, the slight nuance that we didn't actually like explicitly say, but what you actually said in, in, in kind of the explanation of how do you get to product market fit or how do you get to this positioning statement for your cause is that really centers around the community and the audience that you're trying to yeah. engage, yeah. not the work that you do. And I find this frequently because we all, as nonprofit uh, operators, we have this curse of knowledge. Where we know mm. how the work gets mm. done. You know, it's kind of the old yeah. saying, like, we know how the sausage gets made. So we want to, like, unpack that and share that and talk about how it's like this, that, and the other. And, like, ours is different because we take this slight, subtle approach to doing the work. And we want to express that back out because we care and it's great and it's good stuff. But what we're talking about here is you really have to start with the audience or your supporters and say, how do I actually bridge the gap between our supporters and our story, not our story and the supporters. And, and I think that's a, like a subtle thing that's is actually really difficult to manage inside an yeah. organization if you're not intentional about it. Yeah. And it's like, it's like any company, right? Like if you, you can't just say like, well, like our constituents just don't get it or, you know, our target audience just doesn't get it. Like that problem ultimately is like, like you said, like something you need to think about and fix and be more empathetic to like why someone would want to donate to you. Like, again, you might know that you're doing internally doing great work, um, but you can't like sort of assume everyone is going to understand that value in a tweet or, or a, one messaging statement or anything like that. Are there specific questions that fundraisers or marketers at nonprofits should be asking themselves as it relates to that? Like, how do you, what are some key questions you should be asking to know whether you have the right product market fit or you have some, an offer that your supporters actually want to engage with? It's a question. I mean, I think that's, you know, again, sort of give a hammer, give someone a hammer, everything's a nail. I'm, I'm thinking about this from a growth marketing perspective and I'm thinking about, you know, metrics like, What's your cost per acquisition? You know, I'm reading a nonprofit marketing book and it's fascinating to me because they basically in the book admit, and I've seen this in the, in the MNR benchmark report as well. If you look at the MNR benchmark report, which I think a lot of nonprofit marketers are, are familiar with, most the benchmarks for digital advertising actually run at a loss. Like the hard ROI of digital advertising campaigns for most nonprofits is you know they're paying 70s they're paying a dollar to acquire 70 cents in revenue and the book that i'm reading now is sort of supporting this um but basically you know a lot of nonprofits just assume that people are going to come back and donate in the future and and running at a loss is acceptable um personally i don't think it's acceptable i think a lot of the campaigns that we've run have been profitable most of them have actually um and i think you know besides just um you know, knowing that we set up the campaigns the right way and things like that, it's like, you know, that, that we know that the, the nonprofits have a strong brand and good product market fit, as we've been talking about earlier. Um, so the things that I would look for as far as like figuring out if you do have um, 
if you if if what you're doing is working, is looking at your cost per acquisition, um, looking at your donor retention, which is huge. Um, you know, do people, you know, what's the lifetime value of your donor? Do people give more than just once? Uh, most people only give once and move on with their life and never come back. So do people come back? Um, what's your conversion rate from a one-time donor to a recurring donor? Um, what's, you know, even, even not even looking at just like, you know, revenue, but like what's the engagement rate on your emails? Um, what's the engagement rate on your social media posts? Are people sharing them? Um, are people liking them? Um, so I think you can look at a lot of different metrics. I think probably the most important is going to be that, you know, that cost per acquisition metric, like are, is the messaging you're going out there resonating in a way that is drawing people in? Because if your messaging is off, you're going to basically spend a bunch of money on Facebook ads and, and lose it all and not get anything back. Yeah. Um, so again, the acquisition, the retention, like those are the things that I would look at to figure out, are we on the right track here? Absolutely. And I think it comes back, which I want to dig into a little bit further, is just you have to know your metrics. Like discount whether you're doing digital or offline only or yeah. you know, face-to-face donor acquisition on the street corner. You should know very well what your overall cost per uh, or like a lifetime value of a donor plus cost per to acquire a donor is. But also then breaking that down by channel because you can't just assume yep. like, okay, well, we have one bucket of donors because each channel is treated differently. And just kind of a case in point for this is that I came in as the director of growth for a nonprofit. I'd been there previously, but came back to help kind of reorient some of this exact discussion. And what we found was if we really looked at our core donor sets, our monthly donors had the highest lifetime value yeah. and had the highest um, return on investment. So yeah. even though it cost us like three, four, five times as much, I think, if I'm remembering properly, to acquire that donor through that offer, yeah. the yeah. stickiness of that offer and the engagement and kind of the, the if we were able to showcase how someone could engage with our organization through that specific offer, they were more likely to give to other things as well. And yeah. so the lifetime value was like four times or five times as much as a donor that wasn't engaged in that. And when you actually come back and factor it, it was like, oh, wow, like what we realized is we could spend way more money than we thought trying yeah. to acquire new donors. So even though it cost more and was harder, it was still worth it. And we were still underspending to acquire those donors when you looked at the math. And I think the math is really powerful. It's really powerful. And you know, I've seen the same similar situation across some of my clients, like the recurring donor campaigns, just knock it out of the park in terms of ROI. Um, especially if you consume like they're, you know, if you know that your average lifetime value, uh, or sorry, the average like length of time that someone's a recurring donor is a year or more, you know, even if they're giving $10 a year, that's, that's great. You you, know, you can acquire them for 30 or 40 bucks and, and be on your way. Um, the other thing I just want to keep in mind when it comes to recurring donor stuff is that, you know, you can't necessarily hit a cold audience with your recurring donor ads, right? Like recurring donor ads work really well when you're retargeting a large email list, when you're retargeting your Facebook fans, when you're retargeting your website visitors. Um, and if you have no email list, no website visitors, no Facebook fans, um, no sort of like, like critical mass of sort of top of funnel audience, it's going to be really hard to scale out a recurring donor campaign. Um, so I think you know, the other thing to keep in mind as far as the math goes is that you can, yes, you can focus on that cost per acquisition for a recurring donor, but what does the math look like for the rest of the funnel, you know, sort of the top of the funnel? 
Um, what's your CPM? What does it cost to acquire a Facebook like? What does it cost to acquire a website visitor? What does it cost to acquire an email subscriber? Um, and then knowing that those are going to be the sort of core pools of people that you're going to be able to then retarget and convert into a recurring donor, whether that's through a Facebook ad or, or an email campaign or, or a call to action on your website. Um, you know, keep in mind that, you know, the, it's, you can, you can't just focus on just one metric, like all this stuff, you know, plays into each other. You need to have a, a large top of funnel audience to, to have a successful recurring donor campaign. Absolutely. And I think like it's, it's some of the stuff that we used to not used to do a lot of nonprofits are still successful with it. And I would still advocate that they do it, but it's kind of like going back to some of the tactical aspects of like direct response where we, you know, we would have prospecting pools, we would send letters to and mail them. Now I think the challenge though, is actually you're scaling that out to multiple channels. Cause what we find in our research is that today's donors engaging with nonprofits through multiple channels. It's not like a single channel strategy. So yeah. how do you help clients? I know you're focused on Facebook. I know you're focused on Google and kind of this digital paid acquisition. But how are you advising or thinking about helping clients view this from a multi-channel perspective, both online and offline? Yeah, I mean, there's, it's a great question. I mean, I'll start... You know, I'm not sure exactly what you're alluding to offline, but I can start a little bit with just thinking multi-channel online at least, and then we can go to sort of go from there. Um, you know, all, all of these things play off of each other. No digital marketing works in a silo. Um, so, for example, you know, if you're running Google a Google Ad Grants account, or you're trying, or you're blogging aggressively and trying to build backlinks for organic SEO, that's going to drive inbound search traffic to your website which is great. You will get some acquisition from that alone. Um, you know, it's sort of its own silo, but then that inbound traffic then creates the opportunity for you to retarget them on social media and run retargeting campaigns on Facebook. It creates opportunities to capture their email address and set up marketing automation sequences. Um, so, and it's sort of, you know, and then if you're driving, you know, traffic on, on with paid social, you know, you're going to want to look at the cost to acquire an email. Um, and then you're going to want to look at the conversion rates of your email campaign. So like all I'm saying basically is that like all of these things play off of each other, you know, growing your email list is a multi-channel campaign, you know, driving donations is a multi-channel campaign. When you acquire an email address, you know, there's, there's an interesting stat. And this is like one example of how this works is like with Facebook, when you're running ads, they have two, they have, when you're looking at a conversion, there's two different ways to look at it. One way is a click through conversion. So if someone clicks on the ad and they donate directly right on that ad. Or there's a view-through conversion where they see the ad in their feed, they don't click on it, but they end up on your website somewhere, some, some other way, whether it's through search or maybe an email marketing campaign, and they give that way. And so Facebook will actually distinguish these two conversion types because in a lot of cases, I, call, I sort of distinguish it between hard ROI and soft ROI. You know, you you can create ROI off the off the click through campaigns and have people click on the ads and donate more money than what you're spending on them. But there's also this large effect where people are seeing them and it's affecting their decision making process when they see calls to action on other channels. Like maybe they're signed up to your email list, you're retargeting their, your email list. They're seeing those ads in the feed, seeing them on Instagram, seeing them on Facebook, and then when they get that email a week later, they're like, "Oh yeah, that's that nonprofit. I'm going to give to this email." And it sort of, you know, it sort of creates the soft ROI of what that campaign is doing to affect the decision making of that person. Um, so, like you said, you know, sort of answer your question. Those are a couple of examples of like how all these campaigns play off each other and like really 
to get the most momentum going possible is like you want to maximize them all and make sure that you understand how they integrate with, with and play off of each other. Yeah, 100%. And I think what we're even seeing is organizations beginning to like take that same scenario where you're running a Facebook ad, someone comes to your website maybe to view something and then actually sending them a mail piece through automation where it's a letter and actually getting them to donate through the mail like off of those yeah. campaigns. So yeah. I do think there's a lot of interesting way or even like, hey, let's ping Jane and Jane's going to call Stephen because Stephen just visited our website and converted on something. And now we're going to get the donation via the phone. So I think there's a lot of different ways to actually think about digital acquisition in partnership with a lot of the other channels that maybe we're uh, traditional fundraisers are more uh, adept with, but how they are, they do build on top of each other. And I think the, the lesson here is that you can't just have and you know, disagree with me, Stephen, if this is true, you, but you can't just look at like, oh, we have this Facebook thing and this Google thing and the social thing. And then we have our like events acquisition team, which gets all the praise and the love because yeah. they've historically yeah. raised millions of dollars. And then we have our like annual fund people that run the retention campaigns. Like there has to be a single strategy of really looking at how are we acquiring donors? How are we retaining donors? How are we cultivating donors? And how are we getting donors to actually tell other people about it? And when we talk about building a kind of a, a responsive fundraising system or kind of this growth driven system is like you really have to be looking at all four of those, of those kind of uh, tactical ways and all the ways that you can move the needles and poke and prod at those things, but looking at it holistically. And what I find yeah. even in my own work at a nonprofit is that sometimes those are so fractured that you never are really able to maximize this. And then it chops up to, oh, well, we ran that and it didn't work. And it's like, well, it didn't work because it wasn't a part of a bigger strategy. You ran a tactic like Facebook ads and didn't see donations. And so you chopped it up as, oh, millennials don't give, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this before yeah, too. Yeah. And it's like, wait a second. That's not even like, how did you get to that? Like, you know, like that's not even yeah. the proper assumption there. So I think like where I wanted to kind of get your feedback to kind of wrap this up is like, okay, we have the metrics. I think people understand those metrics. We have all these channels, but at the end of the day, it's not just about the channels and the metrics. It's about like building a strategy that really incorporates this thinking that's going to activate growth. So some, for someone that like helps organizations think through a blueprint for growth, what are some of the two or three things that you're like, this is actually the most important things if you're trying to build a growth system for your nonprofit? Yeah. I mean, to sort of play off like we were saying about the different teams, I think that's really, really important because this is not you know, something that can be siloed within one digital department. If you're going to be successful, this digital team needs to be sort of permeate, like sort of flow like water through the whole organization. Um, you know, just some sort of just playing off some of the examples you mentioned, you know, the events team, you know, doing really well and raising a lot of money. Well, how can digital support that? How can you create a Facebook event and drive RCPs, which are going to drive up interest in the event, which is going to help with offline conversions at the gala or whatever it is? Um, you know, the high level donors. Okay, well, let's look at LinkedIn. Let's look at a tool like Sales Navigator. How many people are we reaching out to um, a day um, you know, as far as cold prospecting on LinkedIn? And what does our funnel look like for acquiring high level donors, people with corporate social responsibility titles or people that run big foundations that, that, that sign big checks? Um, do we, what data do we have on that target audience? Can we create a custom audience on Facebook so that 
the people that are, you know, high level donor acquisition people are reaching out to, we, we know that there's some level of brand awareness because we're retargeting, we're retargeting those people on Facebook. Um, you know, policy. I've seen a lot of success with nonprofits um, launching petition ads, right? And those petition ads, they're originally were conceived as a tool for policy to show, hey, you know, governor of X state, you know, we're pushing this legislation. Look, our petition has 10,000 people who signed up. Um, and there's tools like phone action where you can actually drive, you know, connections uh, between people and their elected representatives and, you know, patch them in on phone calls and things like that. But then when the, when the policy with, with those 10,000 people are acquired through a petition, how are they organizing your CRM and how many of those people are then donating at the end, at the end of the year to, to your organization? And how is that? How does the policy play in, when, play in with comms and fundraising goals? Um, so my point here is that I think there's ways that digital can support all departments and in a lot of ways how digital can sort of make it really clear how these departments can support each other. Um, obviously, like I think from a management perspective, a lot of nonprofits want to say like our, our teams are integrated, everyone's communi- communicating and like that's great. And to a certain extent, nonprofits are, are successful in doing that. You know, every organization is different. Some are great at it, some are not. But I think these digital examples that I just said sort of just show from a digital perspective how that can be really effective and how the different teams at your organization can play off of each other and play off of each other's success in order to help achieve the mission, the, the organization's overall goals. Um, and again, I think digital marketing can be a really powerful vehicle for making those processes happen. Absolutely. And I, and I want, I want to kind of end on two practical things, but before we do that, or one practical thing and get kind of some wrap up summary and some advice that you have for nonprofit, especially nonprofit marketers and fundraisers as they kind of wade through 2020, but think ahead for 2021 and not get caught in the weeds. But before we do that, I have, I have kind of a question because I do think there's this divide between marketing and development or marketing and you know fundraising but i i still think development and marketing both are responsible for fundraising but maybe that showcases what my question is or my bias in the question but there is still this divide between like what marketing does and what the development team does or the advancement team does so who should own the donor lifetime value equation at a nonprofit i think they both need to own it um, i think that's sort of where, again, it's sort of to what I was alluding to earlier as far as like how having an all-encompassing digital team that has um, stakeholders across all departments can be really you know, powerful. Um, I think the way most, I think the way most nonprofits think about it and the way I would probably think about it, assuming there is like sort of a clear divide is like marketing is more top of funnel and development's bottom of funnel. Um, so maybe marketing is doing more of that brand marketing I was talking about, driving awareness, getting, you know, higher level metrics, um, you know, better as far as, fit, you know, social media following, growing the email list, growing website traffic, um, you know, things like that. Um, whereas development would be more on the conversion side of that equation. So we have an audience, how do we convert that audience to a donor? Um, and I think if you, if, if you're, if you're thinking, um, that those, if you have two different departments, I think that's how most people would sort of break it up. Um, again, from a digital marketing perspective and, and a, having a digital, pure digital team, you know, they would be, I think, accountable to all stages of the funnel. Um, and ideally, you have someone in your department that's thinking about 
both marketing and development, you know, sort of sitting above them and thinking about how are we feeding the top of the funnel and how are we converting it? And again, I'm looking at this from a digital marketing perspective. You can think about offline tactics as well, as well. but ultimately you need to have someone on your organization that think that's thinking about this, um, like holistically. Um, and if you're not, there's going to be a big breakdown between the two departments and, and there'll probably be some more finger pointing than needed as far as like, why are we not raising as much money as, as we need, you know, development can blame marketing and say, we don't have enough awareness. Uh, there's not enough people to convert and marketing can, can blame development and say, you know, we have, we have a good level of awareness. You guys just can't convert them. And ultimately the solutions are probably there's, you know, needs to be thought through from both sides. Um, and, and you need to make sure that those two teams are really joined at the hip and that someone's thinking through the whole, the whole funnel together. And it, it'll be interesting to see how the organizational structures need to shift as the, the ecosystem requires it. Cause I do think yeah. we need to think about shifts in strategy as operational shifts as well yeah. and our, our kind of demand operational shifts. So how we organize is important. Um, yep. And, yep. And, and what does that look like and who's responsible for what? It kind of goes back to more of the operating system mindset where it's like you have to have the right operating system to support the strategy that you're running, just like you need the right people and processes and platforms to support the strategy you're running. So thinking about yep. it from an operating standpoint is going to be essential as you look to grow. Yep. But to get super you know, practical and pragmatic, you know, 2020 has obviously introduced a lot of new things you know, from the global pandemic to calls for social justice and equality um, to just kind of the global sense of uncertainty that exists right now to tragedies around the world um, and so many other things. And, and, and it's been really difficult as I've talked with nonprofit fundraisers for them, not only to stay focused and figure out how to work in the market, but also just to deal with it personally and to deal with their teams and to do all of those things. So as you look ahead to the rest of 2020, but then also into 2021, what are like the one, two thing, one or two things related to marketing, especially digitally, like that fundraisers need to keep top of mind? What, what advice would you have for those listeners that are thinking through all of the things they need to do and deal with this year? Yeah, so I mean, it's a really, really good question. I think, you know, I've talked to a lot of nonprofit folks that, you know, do feel that uncertainty and are, are you know, how does the, the election play into like our timing for campaigns and um, you know, should, is it too noisy out there? Should we, should we hold back for now? Um, you know, I, I come up across those questions a lot. Um, and to me, I don't think this is a time for anyone to hold back. Um, I think this is a time to figure out how can you ride this momentum and, and this, this sort of like, um, you know, this, this energy, uh, for change and how, how does your nonprofit play a role in that? Um, I think, you know, a lot of nonprofits have, you know, sort of pivoted their messaging in light of COVID and, and, and George Floyd in really successful ways. And some have not, and some have really struggled with that. Um, and, and they feel like their, their cause is maybe taking a back seat. Um, but, but my advice would be to like, not hold back. I think, you know, one, one metric that really stood out to me as far as like, um, just getting like sort of really deep in the weeds on digital marketing stuff is like going into COVID, you know, the CPM on Facebook, the average cost to reach a thousand people or get a thousand impressions, uh, dropped from about $3 and 50 cents globally to about a dollar. 
Um, so a lot of advertisers are pulling spend because it's as easy as a switch. You know, their, their business is struggling. They want to turn off the ads. And it's sort of similar to the stock market, right? Like where if the stock market crashes and you have cash on hand to invest, it's a good time to buy. Sort of that same dynamic happened um, is, is happening now. We're still in it with um, digital advertising. Um, you know, if you have cash on hand, now is a really good time. And a lot of in a lot of cases, I'll just tell you empirically, like a lot of these campaigns that I'm running are doing better than ever, even despite this sort of nagging feeling that everyone's super distracted and can't really deal with the world right now when there's an election and it's super noisy. All that being said, um, things, you know, the campaigns themselves, I think, are proving out that people have an appetite to, um, like you said, they feel uncertainty. I think engaging with nonprofits and donating and advocating for the cause they care about is a way of regaining control. Um, so I think, you know, I think that plays into part of the reason that things are going, or, or some of these campaigns are doing really well is that people are looking for outlets to feel like they're making a difference. Um, this because of all these issues. Um, so I think that's sort of the perspective that I'm taking is like, it's not too noisy out there. There's not too much going on. Um, in fact, this is probably a really good opportunity, both like the market dynamics of like the CPM on Facebook and also the psychology of people, the sort of behavioral economics, I think of it, of like people wanting to look for um, opportunities to regain control in their life and, and make an impact on, on the future of the world. Um, not to get like too, too cheesy there, but um, I think those are the two dynamics that I'm looking at um, as far as like the path forward. Um, the, the opportunities as far as ROI with as far as the hard metrics and then also sort of the psychology of people that are looking for a way to make a difference and, and how your nonprofit can essentially be a bridge and a tool for them to to make that impact and, and feel like they're, they're doing something um, productive. Yeah, as I repeated multiple times from T. Clay Buck, he always says, you know, nonprofits are in the hope business. And I think we have almost an obligation during times yeah. of crisis yeah. and uncertainty to really yeah. be a steward of that responsibility and, and present donors and supporters the opportunity to get involved and feel like they can make a difference. Because I think the thing yeah. is, is that if you fundamentally yeah. believe that people are generous, and if you don't, then you should be in a different business. Because like, it's just, like, you're just not going to like, be a good <laughs> fundraiser or marketer if you don't fundamentally believe yeah. people want to be generous or that they are generous. Um, you know that people are generous regardless of what's going on or the uncertainty or the like thing. So it's kind of how do we actually help them activate that part of them in a way that they can contribute and feel like they're making a difference. And I think that's really the responsibility that we have. But like you mentioned, and many others I've talked to said, the ROI of the opportunities right now in the market, if you have the capabilities and the, you know, the budgets to, to get involved, there's huge area or opportunities for growth. That huge opportunities right now, just from a growth perspective and, and, and for the, the um, market. But again, I think, like you said, there's also this big, you know, hope business psychology factor and people are looking for these opportunities. Yeah. Anyways, I appreciate the time, Stephen, and the reminders of thinking about, you know, metrics, but then how do we actually integrate kind of a, from a multi-channel perspective and really look at it holistically from, it's not just about donations, but it's how do you engage an audience with the right offer and all of that? And how does that really change your operating system? And all of that's super important as we look forward. So I appreciate those reminders. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. It's really a great conversation. Appreciate it. And if uh, people want to learn more about your work and even seek out your help to build their growth blueprint, how can they uh, check you out? 
Go to goodgoesfurther.com. Um, so I'd mentioned I launched an agency four years ago, but Good Goes Further, we launched just a couple months ago and it's specifically for nonprofit growth marketing. Um, we have a blueprint offer um, where basically we come in for four or five weeks to your nonprofit and we pull together a growth marketing blueprint. We over, you know, look at sort of digital marketing SWAT team, look at paid social, paid search, email marketing, CRM, reporting, fundraising tactics, We'll go through the whole uh, the whole thing and, and let you sort of you basically create a blueprint for your path forward as far as incorporating growth marketing into your nonprofit. Um, there's a couple other things that we're doing with, with Good Goes Further. Number one, we have a free Facebook group um, for nonprofit marketers where I sort of muse on growth marketing within it, um, which if you go to the website, you can request to join. And then if you check out our social media and our website, um, we're also interviewing nonprofit marketers with one question. Um, and that question is, what's one growth marketing tactic that's worked really well for you? Um, so in the last few months, we've published 13 of these already. Uh, so we've spoken to 13 different nonprofit marketers that have given us 13 different answers already um, with a lot more in the pipeline as far as what's working best for them. Because again, we just want to create sort of a community or ecosystem where we're able to share insights um, from nonprofit marketers that are doing really well with people that are struggling or looking for fresh ideas. Um, so we have the interview series, we have the Facebook group, and then if you want to hire us for uh, a one-month engagement, we could come in and put together a custom blueprint for your organization. So that's what we're up to. Check it out on goodgoesfurther.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the Responsive Fundraising Blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is gonna be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast.